If you have your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open to near the end to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. And if you're using a Bible app on your phone or tablet, um, you're looking for 1TI, then select 6, and we're going to start in verse 11 this morning. And in this passage, we find Paul's final instructions to his young apprentice, Timothy. And as we work through these words this morning, I invite you to imagine receiving these words as though they came from an honored mentor. Timothy would have read and reread these words over and over again, pouring over their meaning. And today we're going to do the same. So let's get an overview first by reading it straight through, starting in verse 11. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things, pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey his commands without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, and the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. He alone can never die, and he lives in light so bright and so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen. Now, this letter of 1 Timothy, along with 2 Timothy and Titus, stand in a unique category of Scripture known as the pastoral epistles or the pastoral letters, of which they were first labeled by D.N. Burdott in 1703 and, and have ever since been called. Although the name is it's kind of misleading. Where the other letters in the New Testament were written to churches and established groups of Christians, these three letters were written to individual people, um, and it's, it's unknown if they were ever really intended to be read to the assembly of the church. So instead of Paul writing to the people gathered in a church community and instructing the people of God on how to deal with a particular problem, these letters were different. So in contrast, think about the Corinthian correspondence. Like in First and Second Corinthians, we find Paul addressing specific issues and answering questions. So scholarship breaks down the two letters into multiple letters of Corinthians, and in between which the church in Corinth would have sent correspondence back to Paul, prompting the continued dialogue. And in the case of the church in Corinth, Paul was instructing the people of the church as the higher authority of the church. But in the letters to Timothy and Titus, the correspondence is different. Here, Paul gives leadership instruction and mentorship to an individual and, and not to a community. Timothy, he's Paul's young apprentice. He's receiving written training and encouragement from his mentor. And in these few pages, we find Paul's instructions not only on what is, is expected for an individual who seeks to serve as a leader in the church, but we also find um, personal guidance from Paul on the things that, that really matter most, things like character and, and integrity and, and what it means to remain faithful to one's calling. 
And so in today's passage, Paul gives Timothy three warnings that if followed, he will be successful in his ministry in God's eyes. Remember that God does not call us to what we understand as worldly success. Instead, God calls us to be faithful to the calling he has placed in our lives and on our lives. And all three of Paul's warnings are written in the form of actions. And this this means that Timothy is expected to do something for a specific reason. And, And each warning is a verb requiring to intentionally step out and act. And the first warning that Paul gives is to run. So warning number one is to run. In verse 11, Paul says, But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Now, before we jump into running, we need to first address the identity that Paul is establishing. Paul is not asking Timothy who he thinks he is. Nor is he asking Timothy for some form of of a profession of faith in Christ. Paul is telling him who he is. Timothy, you are a man of God. This is who you are. You see, this is not a question. It's a statement. It, It was the master telling the apprentice what he is. Not what he could be. Not that he has potential. Not that one day he might become something great. But that he is. You are a man of God. You are a woman of God. And it's time that you start acting like it. You see, I believe that there is a point in each of our lives where each one of us has to decide if we are going to live up to the reality of who we are or not. You are a woman of God. You are a man of God. You are a child of the Most High God. Are you going to live into that reality or not? Now, was this a tough love moment? I don't think so. I really don't think it was. I say it's the defining moment. I don't think it was tough love. I think it was a defining moment. I say it's a defining moment when we either live into who we are created to be or we choose to live into the fantasy realm that we create at some point in our lives. And often it's a repeating moment, a repeating moment in our lives. We must decide, are we going to live into who we truly are? In verse 11, but you, but you, Timothy, you are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. And, and to run or to flee, often, you know, often it comes with these negative connotations in our culture today. Often it is thought of as a sign of weakness to run away. And whether you're a male or a female, it doesn't really matter. You know, it doesn't really matter. You know, boys are, are raised to never back down from a fight. You know, after all, Captain America always gets back up when he's beaten down. And, and women, it's the same thing. You know, it was, it was 1962 when the, when the Four Seasons came out with the song, Big Girls Don't Cry. But here's the thing. Running away and fleeing from a bad situation is not weakness. It's a real life and death situation as it relates to our spiritual lives too. And what Paul is talking about is not literal fleeing. 
It's not literally running from physical danger. Paul is talking about a spiritual separation. And he's talking about false teachings and the things in this world that contradict what Christ has already taught us. And to understand that, we have to step back a little bit into earlier in this letter of 1 Timothy. You see, at the beginning of chapter 6, Paul warns Timothy about false teachings. He says, he says this, Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words, and this stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs on the truth. You see, Paul is calling for separation between the teachings that are contrary to Christ's teachings and those that are not. And this is, this is difficult for some of us who, who place high priority on, on unity above all other things. Because the fact is, at some point, we must realize that all unity is not good. Just like all division is not bad. Paul's warning to Timothy to flee is a reminder to each of us that we each may face a time in our lives where we will need to take a stand. And as a servant of God, we need to ask ourselves, are we willing and are we able, are we going to separate ourselves from the cultural expectations, the dangers of false teachings and doctrines, and hold true to what Paul calls the wholesome, teaching, the wholesome teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our first warning is to run. The second warning that Paul gives is to pursue. Paul continues in verse 11 with these words, Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. To pursue literally means to go after, to chase, to follow, to hunt. It is defined as following someone or something in order to catch them. So when Paul warns Timothy to pursue these spiritual graces, he is instructing him to actively engage in these practices. In essence, Timothy is expected to imitate Christ in his life. If we are expected, first, to, to separate ourselves from the godless practices of the world around us, to, to flee, if our first warning is to run, we must pursue and we must cultivate godliness in our lives. Because here's the thing, if we separate ourselves and we don't intentionally grow, if we don't intentionally pursue, then all we're doing is isolating ourselves. So we must regularly practice faithfulness, which could manifest itself as, as dependability with those around us and with God. So let me ask, do people depend on you? And can God depend on you? We have to practice love by sacrificing for other people in our lives. 
do things for others for the purpose of giving and not for personal gain. We have to continue to persevere and endure when times get tough, taking courage in Christ. We have to cultivate an attitude of gentleness and meekness in the world around us and constantly remember that meekness is not weakness. Our second warning is to pursue a godly life. The third warning that Paul gives is to fight. Paul says, fight the good fight for the true faith. And while this may seem counterintuitive to the first warning, to to run and to flee, I assure you it's not. The word that Paul uses here that we translate into fight in English is also translated, more aptly translated into agonize. And it's best understood from the perspective of like an athlete or a soldier. You know, a lot of words don't translate well into English. And this word really describes that strain that a person gives when they're doing everything they can to win. And it's the same word that's used in 2 Timothy when Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. You see, the battle that Paul is talking about is not between believers. It's not this inner turmoil between Christian and Christian about a faithful follower and faithful follower. Paul's warning is for the individual person. It's for Timothy, and it's for each one of us. It's for each one of us so that we would be ready as we face the enemy that is around us. Now, I know that many of us get kind of edgy when a pastor starts talking about the enemy that's around them and the fight that they're going to wage. Spiritual warfare is a challenging topic for a lot of people today. And if we were meeting today in person, face to face, I would show you the video clip from the movie Braveheart to help lead us into this conversation. Because in the movie Braveheart, the actor Mel Gibson, playing William Wallace, gives this speech before a battle where he asks this army of Scotsmen, what will you do with your freedom? Will you fight? To which a farmer responds, against that? No, we will run and we will live. It's a good question. What will you do with your freedom? Actor Jim Carrey once said, if you aren't in the moment, you are either looking forward to uncertainty or back to pain and regret. Timothy is being charged with the responsibility to stand up for what he has been charged with. Later on in verse 20, Paul says, Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. You see, he is facing a battle between his calling to serve God, to live out his calling, to build the kingdom of God, to build the church, and the enemy's false teachings in the community at large. Now, we live in a highly educated, science-driven, prove-it-to-me-now, let-me-see-it kind of culture today. But think about it. It's always been that way. It was the same way when Jesus was alive. 
Really, people, people didn't believe Jesus when he was with them unless they saw him do what he claimed to be able to do. Even his disciples doubted him. Thomas wouldn't even believe him unless he saw the holes in his hands and physically put his finger in the wound in Jesus' side to believe that he'd been resurrected from the dead. Doubt and disbelief ran rampant in the first century just as much as they do today. And false teachings and doctrines were propagated in the early church just as they are today. And so what is a false doctrine? And what is a false teaching? A false doctrine and a false teaching are any statement of faith that people profess to follow that contradict the teachings of Christ. Let me ask you, where do you think these concepts come from? Are they merely products of our imagination? Could they be revelation from God? Or is it possible that the evil one, the tempter, the king of lies, has a plan to derail God's progress in the world? C.S. Lewis wrote, an amazing book called The Screwtape Letters, which I truly adore. And if you haven't read it, I highly encourage it. It was written in the first-person narrative format. Um, and it's a correspondence between the devil, uh, this devil Screwtape and his master about his comings and goings in the world and how things are going with, 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 with humans. And, and I like this quote about the devil's work and the slow fade of humankind. And Lewis wrote this, he said, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, with su- without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. The fight or agonizing strain to win that, that Paul warns Timothy about is a call to carry out his missionary calling of building the church while being prepared to fight the spiritual battles that he's going to face. Each of us are going to face battles, and each of our battles are going to take different forms. And at the same time that we're facing these spiritual battles, we're also called to build the kingdom of God in the world around us. And so we must become like the people of Judah, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem as recorded in the Old Testament prophet book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 4 says this, The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and on the other hand holding a weapon. One hand built the kingdom while the other stood ready to fight. We too must build with one hand and stand ready to fight our spiritual battles with the other. You see, too often we get consumed with one or the other. And as people of faith, we get consumed, we either get consumed with building our kingdom that we forget that the evil one is feeding disinformation into the cause. Or we become so consumed by our by a worldly battle that we believe is righteous, then in reality, it's nothing more than, than a flavor of the week. We drift too far one way or the other. 
We drop the sword for the sake of the hammer. Or we drop the hammer for the sake of the sword. Paul finishes his letter to Timothy with these words. Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. May God's grace be with you all. We must learn to stand and fight the good fight for the true faith. And to do so, we must be prepared daily. And Paul gives no greater words in my mind on how to prepare for the spiritual battles ahead than in Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, In a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. But we must not forsake the building of God's kingdom for fighting the spiritual battles in our lives. So also remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 10, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Let your life build God's kingdom around you. And at the same time, pursue righteousness and a godly life. Paul said in Galatians 5, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there is no law against these things. And don't forget that we are also called, charged, and warned to flee from the evil in our lives. As Paul said in the second letter to Timothy, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts and said, pursue righteous living faithfulness, love, and peace, and enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. If we, like Timothy, adhere to Paul's warnings, we too will find ourselves walking humbly in God's sight. As this message marks my final message given at the St. John's campus, and with Redeemer Church. It seemed fitting to title the message, The Benediction. I want nothing more than for all of you to know the peace that passes all understanding which comes from Christ alone. I hope and I pray that my presence here in this community has in some way helped or encouraged you along your journey of faith. It is the experience of Christ in this life, in the present moment, in the here and now, that is most important to me. What we do today far outweighs any future possibilities, plans, or predictions. What we have in this moment 
is the opportunity to be whole and complete with our Creator. To experience peace and completion. Not in some distant future, in a fictitious utopian fantasy, but right now. Jesus Christ himself said in John 14, I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. And Paul said it this way in Philippians 4, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank you for and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me do. Then the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Teach us, good Lord, to serve you as you deserve, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to ask for any reward, except that of knowing that we are doing your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.